So we've been talking about being in a valley. Everybody, anybody ever been in a valley before? You know, one of those times when life shows up and throws you a curveball and you end up in the, the bottom of the pit and you look and like there's, there's no way out. You know, a couple of weeks ago, Jay talked about betrayal and he talked about how someone else let you down. And today I want to go in a different direction because sometimes the valleys that we are in are self-inflicted. Right? Sometimes we make choices and decisions that put us into a deep valley and, and, and we look and we think, how in the world did I get here? And we ask, why am I here? What did I, why did I do this? What, what is going on? And, and so either decisions that we make or things that we said, and sometimes they lead to guilt. And, and sometimes guilt is so oppressive that it just neutralizes our faith. Guilt is one of those things that's so deceitful because there are times in, lives that, in our lives that you think you've overcome whatever it is you feel bad about and all of a sudden it shows up like some crazy person just smacking you in the face and all of a sudden guilt wins again. We find ourselves in the valley because we made a bad relationship choice or we were addicted or many other thousands of things we could say. Now, I want to start by saying that I'm not going to look at this from a psychological perspective because I'm not qualified to do that. and I'm not going to pretend that I am. Um, but we are going to look this, at this from a spiritual perspective. So we're not going to talk about why am I here and how do I get out of the valley. But what we're going to talk about is what do I do with this? As a follower of Jesus Christ, when I find myself in the valley because I've made bad choices and I can't get past my own guilt, what do I do now? As a follower of Jesus, what does this look like? So we're going to look at the ultimate example, and his name is Paul. If you turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. And Paul, in writing to young Timothy, who was leading the church at Ephesus, uh, Paul had mentored him, and um, Paul tells part of his story to Timothy, and, and we get to hear his story in his own words instead of Luke's like we do in Acts. So it's 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. We're on page 1192 if you're using the Pew Bible. And so today, if you're carrying a lot of guilt in your relationship with God, I hope that today um, the Spirit will use this to help set you free. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. 
But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, excuse me, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Right? So there are a couple of things that, about Paul's story that I think are incredibly helpful for us, especially those of us who are guilt-ridden. Okay? So look at verse 15 with me and see what, hear what Paul said. He said, Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Now the first thing that I want you to see is this, is there is nothing you have done in your life that is worse than what Paul did. I want you to process all of the things that you might feel guilty about, and I want you to make a list in your brain, and I want you to understand that there is nothing you did that is worse than what Paul did. Go back to verse 13 and see how he describes himself. He starts off by saying, I was a blasphemer. Now, a blasphemer is someone who says the truth is a lie. Okay, so, so you understand, if I were to stand up here and to say, Jesus did not really rise from the dead, that would be a blasphemous statement. Okay, because I'm telling, saying the truth is a lie. Paul did that. Paul took the truth of God and he contorted it and he said it wasn't true. The truth about Jesus Christ, it was wrong. And so he took what was God's truth and he changed it. He blasphemed. All right? The second thing that he says is he's a persecutor. Right? A persecutor is one who sees someone who believes something different and decides they should pay a price because they don't believe like I do. We see that all over our world today. All right? A persecutor is one who attacks someone else because they don't believe correctly. And that's what Paul did. Paul went around the countryside arresting Christians, throwing them in jail, and putting them away, and having them killed because Christianity was such a blight on his belief system in Judaism. And so it was a thought that if we kill all of the leaders, then Christianity will die out. So let's arrest them and have them put to death, and then Christianity will end. He was a persecutor. And then he calls himself a violent man. So we see in Acts, as he's telling the story, as Stephen's being stoned, he holds the coats. In the next verse, it says, Paul goes from house to house, arresting men and women and having them thrown in prison, trying to destroy this movement of Jesus. So hear me when I say, this is not to justify anything we've ever done wrong. That's not the point. But the point is, when you add up who you are in Christ Jesus, when you add up all of the mistakes that you've made, there's nothing you will ever have done that will be any worse than what Paul did. Hear that today. Because we know Paul's story, he was transformed. And he tra changed Eastern Europe forever. And ultimately, all of Europe and the United States of America, he changed the world. But there was no one who was more unqualified to do what he did than him because he was so far gone. But yet God saw in him amazing potential. Read a fascinating story this week. A few weeks ago, I told you about the movement of God that's going on in Muslim countries today and how God works. 
right? It's not missionaries that go and tell people about Jesus. It's people have visions and dreams. They have visions of the angel Gabriel. They have visions of Jesus himself. And then they have a vision eventually about a Bible. They need to find a Bible. So they will will miraculously be given a Bible where Bibles are illegal. They will read through the Bible multiple times until finally they decide I'm going to follow Jesus. And they go and they find a Christian. Help me to know what to do. And that's how they become followers of Jesus. There's a story that just came out recently about an ISIS fighter. And this ISIS fighter was committed, and he lived in Egypt, uh, committed to destroying Christianity. And in fact, in his testimony, he says, I found great pleasure in killing Christians. It was exciting for me. And they found a man, and he was going to behead the man. And before he did, the man who was a Christian said, listen, I know you're about to kill me, but before you do, I want you to have my Bible. He killed him, and he kept the Bible. See, what was going on was for several years, he had been having visions and dreams. The angel Gabriel had been showing up to him. So he took the Bible, and he started to put it together, and he said, all right, so he started to read He read the scripture all the way through multiple times. And then he had a vision of Jesus himself saying, come follow me. He decided to follow Jesus. He found the only Christian that he knew. And he said, I'm following Jesus. Tell me what to do now. Don't know where his story's gonna end up. Don't know what's going to happen to him. But here's what I'm telling you. I I use that as illustration because when we think of the worst possible people in our mind, Those are the first kinds of people we think of. But here's what I'm telling you is the grace of Jesus Christ covers everything. No matter how long your list is, no matter how bad your list is, no matter how you may be unable to perform as a follower of Jesus in your mind because you have done so many things wrong, your list doesn't matter because the grace of Jesus Christ covers it all. When we follow him. Now, I was processing all of this this week, and, and something hit me, and I'm going to say it, and I'm not sure I completely agree with it yet, but I'll let you decide. But I've come to this conclusion that I think that God really doesn't gain anything by forgiving us. He's already perfect. He already has everything that he needs. It's not like he goes to bed at night and says, oh, I really need to forgive Doug. I'm going to feel so much better once I forgive Doug. I wish he'd confess so we can get this straight. My life would be so much better. No, he does that for me, not for him. And so when he chooses to forgive, it's, it's a pure act of love. And so what happens to us is we fall into this pit of guilt that keeps us from following Christ and and the enemy wins this great victory. Because the bottom line is we think we're unworthy to represent Christ. And we're exactly right. Not one of us is worthy. Save the fact he made us that way. Right? So, guilt throws us into a valley. We're we're stuck there. We think, I can't be used. I've done too many bad things. Please hear me. 
no matter what your list says, God can use you in spite of you, and he can use me in spite of me. So let's look at what Paul said in verse 16. So he talked about being the worst of sinners. He said, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. And Paul says this, listen, Christ showed me mercy so that my story could impact others. So they could look at my life and see how horrible I was as the worst of sinners and realize that grace covered me. And now God has used me to make a difference. You see, Paul had this incredibly unique story. Anti-God's direction, anti-God's vision for the world, anti-everything that God wanted to accomplish. God transformed him and he changed the world for God's purposes. Hear me when I say this. You have an incredibly unique story. There are 7 billion people on planet Earth, almost 8 billion, and not one of them has your story. Not one of them has your exact DNA, your exact family, your exact lifestyle, your exact choices. None of them. You're the only you. And so your unique story is one that can make a unique difference. It's amazing on this journey of life as followers of Jesus, there's some real practical things that we've learned. No one can help an alcoholic better than a recovering alcoholic. No one can help someone who's been through a divorce better than somebody who's been through a divorce. No one can help someone who's lost a job better than someone who's gone through that process. And on and on we go, regardless of the choices we've made, regardless of the bad decisions that have happened, regardless of the sin that we have allowed to come into our lives, your unique story makes a unique impact. You can connect to people that I could never connect to, and I could connect to people that you could never connect to. But see, here's what we do. We, we find ourselves in the valley, we're guilt-ridden, and we, you know, we have the closet of secrets that we want to keep away from everybody else. We all have that closet that we don't want to open because if people find out what I'm really like, oh, good grief. But the truth is, your unique story can make an incredibly unique difference. So don't run from that story. One of the most famous Christians after Paul was a man named St. Augustine. And we say St. Augustine where we go to eat dinner, but it's St. Augustine. If you're in academia, that's how they say his name. Um, but Augustine has an amazing story. I don't know if you're familiar with, with Augustine. He lived in the 500s, so a long, long time ago. Um, but Augustine was everything that someone who follows Jesus, we would say, should not be. He was known as a philanderer. He was, uh, he got, he, he liked alcohol. He was drunk regularly. Um, in fact, he got a young lady pregnant, uh, but decided not to stay with her because he had a rich woman who was interested in him. So he decided to marry the rich woman instead of her, 
was unfaithful to the rich woman, and, and he spent his life chasing hedonism. Everything that he could possibly want, he chased after. In fact, uh, there was a joke that he said, I pray that chastity catches up with me, just not anytime soon. Right? And so uh, he, was, he was famous for his being everything he's not supposed to be. One day he was walking and he heard a child singing a song that he had never heard. In the song, the words were, pick me up and read me. Don't even know what it was about, but he in his mind translated that God is telling me I need to read the scripture. He picked up a Bible, he opened it up into Romans. And there he was confronted with the need to be forgiven and the need to build his life around God. So he went to a church he found a priest, and he became a follower of Jesus. And not only did he become a follower of Jesus, he became one of the most prolific writers in Christian history. And in fact, 1,500 years later, his writings of the confession still have a great influence on Christianity and the church. Someone headed completely the wrong direction, but God had a specific plan for him. See, here's what I want you to see. Christians looked at Paul and said, we don't want to have anything to do with him because he may kill us. The church looked at Augustine and said, we don't want to have anything to do with him because he's doing everything wrong. But God didn't see who they were. He saw who they could be. He saw their potential and their possibility. See, a lot of times when we talk about guilt, we talk about forgiving ourselves, and I'm not going to go there because our call is to obedience. And here's what I know about people who, when they look at their lives and they're, they're guilt-ridden and they, they refuse to do what God calls them to do because, well, they're just not worthy, the enemy's won in their lives. But here's the other thing that I know. When people choose to say yes to Jesus, even though they're ridden with guilt, and all of a sudden God begins to use them, that guilt begins to dissipate in their lives. You know, one of the things that Paul said in, in verse 12, he said, God has given me strength. One of the things that Paul did so well is he never lost focus of what really mattered. He could have become incapacitated because of guilt and refused to do anything. But instead, he just did what he was called to do. I imagine if he's like other humans, there were nights when Paul was like, I can't believe I did that. I feel so horrible. But he kept pressing on. God kept using him. See, that's what we have to do. I can't take away your guilt. Jesus can, but I can't. But I know the answer is not to stop. I know the answer is not to just wait and see what happens. When guilt is there and it's real and it's powerful, then we chase after Jesus. That's what we have to do. So here's what I want to encourage you. And again, not from a psychological perspective at all, but purely from a spiritual perspective. If you're riddled with guilt today, here are several things that I want to encourage you to do in your relationship with God. The first is believe the promises of Scripture. Believe that the grace of Jesus Christ is enough to cover whatever you've done. 
If there's unconfessed sin in your life, 1 John 1, 9, we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess and believe it to be true. So acknowledge the fact that Jesus can and is and was and will be greater than all of those decisions that we made. Secondly, I encourage you to pray. Pray and ask God to give you the strength to be greater than your heart because it is in our heart that we decide we deserve to be guilty. And we'd pray and say, you know what? God, I I need to get over this and get past this, but I can't. I know you want me to be whole, but I can't do it on my own. Please do this through me. It's amazing what he will do and accomplish when we ask for his help. And then, and this is the, the scary prayer, begin to pray and ask God to use you in a unique way for his kingdom's glory. Bring people into my life that I can connect with, that my journey can help. Bring people into my life that need to hear my story, that I can guide through this journey of guilt, whatever I've done. Bring people into my life that can help, that I can help, that you can use me to help them, to transform them. But don't pray that one unless you mean it. Because they'll show up. And all of a sudden you have to be very real and very honest about your journey. So don't pray that unless you mean it. It's a horrible thing when followers of Jesus get stuck in guilt. And I don't say that to make you feel guilty and to pile on, but to say you don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay there. And I also know the beautiful thing about valleys all the way through this series is this. Valleys end. They end. So in the meantime, stay true to your call, stay true to who God made you to be, and leave the guilt to him. Let's pray.